Welcome back to another edition of Mormon Expression. I'm your host, John Larson, and here we are in Studio 1A Mark II, the Velvet Lounge, and we're here with a bunch of um, friends who've been here before. Welcome back, guys. Thanks for coming. Um, uh, for a while, I've been thinking about doing a podcast. Um, I, I've actually been asked. You know, there's been a lot of things that have happened with the podcast over the four years we've been doing it. A lot of things that have happened with me personally. And I've been asked to sort of give an update on myself and on the podcast and the history of the podcast. I, I've actually been trying to write out the outline for that for a few weeks. And it was com- I was completely unsuccessful at doing it. So we've had a long tradition since the early days of trying to make the podcast as transparent as possible and trying to um, have a dialogue between those of us who are on it and those who are listening and, and kind of close that gap. And we would do these feedback shows. Um, so I decided tonight to do another feedback show, and I opened it up early this morning, um, and I just said to people, if they have any questions at all, they can ask them, and I will do my best to answer them. So for the next hour or so, I'm going to be trying to answer your um, questions. Do, if you guys have any questions, um, then feel free to pop in, as long as they're not. Well, you'll probably be more tame than, than maybe the people out there would be. All right, so let's dive right in. Um, so of course I'm getting these questions from the Mormon Expression podcast community, which you can find on Facebook if you so desire. You can join and see sort of what's going on there. Um, so let's, 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 let's go for it. And I, I did review most of these questions before. Um, and these are representative of some of the questions I, I do get. So I think these will be a good, um, I don't know, a good stab at what's going on. All right. So the first one from, uh, David, uh, before you resigned your church membership, um, which I did last year. I, I finally resigned. Um, have you ever been approached by the church representative at any level threatening you with some type of discipline regarding the podcast? There's another question I was asked. Do, do you think or do you know that the church listens in on the podcast? Um, frankly, the church doesn't care about people like me. Um, once I saw a form, it was a church disciplinary form that went to Salt Lake. And this form had at the top, it said, Church Discipline Against Priesthood Holder, something like that. And it said, Priesthood Office. And the first box was 70, like a general authority. The second box was Stake President. The third box was Bishop. And the fourth box said Other. So most of us didn't even make it onto the form. You can imagine if you ran a church this size of an all-volunteer, untrained priesthood force that is in locked rooms with people confessing to adultery and God knows what else, with young kids raging with hormones, with all just the the standard deviations of terrible human behavior, that the church is dealing with a nightmare of epic proportions just in terms of Sunday school teachers and stuff hitting. And I know just in the the years that I've been sort of following the church closer, and I have no idea what, what goes on, that I know of several lawsuits that have that have come up and then been silenced by the church paying hush money and that sort of thing. And I'm not trying to suggest that the church is a big nefarious organization. Any organization of this size is going to run into these problems. But the church is more worried about the problems from the inside. And they're going to be more worried about agitators from the inside. People like me on the outside, they've already been effectively dealing with us since 1830, right? If there's one thing the church knows how to deal with, it's apostates because they've had them since day one. And so, so we're kind of encapsulated, um, because, because our voice is already silenced to most of the members. As an example, I get called by reporters, you know, from Reuters or from New York Times or, or that sort of thing every few months. And, and sometimes I'll explain things to them. I'll put them to other connections. Very rarely, in fact, never have I ever been quoted in any of those articles. And it's partly because I'm an outside agitator. I'm not the type of person who makes a good quote. They will go for people like Joanna Brooks, who are inside outsiders, who are people who, who are inside but know how to speak to the outside. Because then they have the representative saying, Mormon girl, Joanna Brooks. What am I in the paper? How do they define me? I'm, I'm an agitator. I'm a critic. And I think, I think that same thing goes for the church and outside the church. That the church really doesn't worry about me as much as they'll worry about John DeLynn. Because John DeLynn is agitating from the inside and I'm coming from the outside. Um, we, we have looked and in our download logs, um, years ago, we saw that there were quite a few downloads going to the COB, the church office building. But I don't know if that's just employees or actually official people. Um, it's clear that there's some people inside the church who are monitoring some stuff, but I don't think we're really high on their, on their, 
on their radar. I don't think they care about us that much. Um, and, and in fact, if you look at the church history, like I just sort of um, hinted at, half at least of all membership at any given time has left the church. The church has an enormous bleed rate. So when you take the, when you take, and most of them just sort of wander off into the local bar or, or whatever else they do. When you take the, um, what's happening with internet ex-Mormonism is people who really strongly believed are, are leaving. So I think there's a changing dynamic and these people make noise. They put nasty blogs up and publish information. But still from the church's perspective, they're statistically insignificant. The church is always dealing with a lot of people just walking out the door. And they're becoming more aware that with the Internet and investigators, especially in the Western world, are going to investigate this stuff and look online. And that's impacting church baptisms. But as far as membership goes, the type of people who would listen to this podcast don't represent a significant number of people leaving the church. All right. Next question. What do you think has been the crest and trough of Mormon expression? And the, another question was asked, what are the two or three most meaningful experiences? Um, the, 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 the crest is, is, is hard to define. For me, the best part about it has been connecting into this community. Oftentimes the people who listen to the podcast or the people who associate with the podcast are some of the brightest, most interesting people you would ever meet. These are people that the church could never contain. Um, and they're, 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 they're clever and they're interesting. And most of the people I surround myself with these days actually have left the church well behind. I, I, I seldom socially associate with people who are fresh out of the church. Um, but that's just because that's not the phase I'm at in anymore. But these people are just fascinating people, people who have thought deeply about a lot of things. So, so I, I think this association with all sorts of different people, and I've had the privilege from the podcast to literally meet thousands and thousands of people and hear their stories, and that has been just an enormous benefit to my life. Um, the, the downside, obviously, was, um, was when I, when I went through the stages of, of the divorce, um, because, because, um, you know, Zilf and I were connected with the podcast, um, that sort of bled over into the, the podcast itself. And, you know, I know we did the podcast talking about how wonderful divorce was and all things, but it, it was a really hard time for me emotionally. It was the right choice. It was the right choice for both of us. We're both better off now. We're both happier. Um, I, I have, I have no regrets on that, but it, it was very difficult. And, in some ways it was difficult because it brought back a lot of the emotion of when I left the church, because when you leave the church, a lot of your identity is tied up in being a Mormon and tied up in being, you know, all your family's there, your identity, what you do for five or six nights a week, what you do all day Sunday, what you think is going to happen to you after life, what, wh where your, your mission is, what, what you're supposed to be doing. And all that just goes poof oftentimes in an instant and it leaves people in a tailspin. And for, for me, um, a lot of that came back at me, um, when the, when the divorce went through because my, my marriage and my family was tied in with Mormonism and tied in with this podcast project, which is why in the past year or so, the, the podcast recordings were less frequently because I was just trying to get my own shit together. All right. Next one. Oh, um, the most meaningful experiences. I actually, there's one that really sticks out in my mind. Um, and, and, um, I get a lot of mail at the top of the, at the podcast height, I was probably doing 30 to 40 hours a week managing the podcast. And I would do about an hour a day, just answering email. Now, for those of you who have sent me email in the past year or so, you'll know that I don't respond very much. Um, that was a self-preservation, self-preservation thing for my part, because I really was spending a lot of time and a lot of emotional energy into that. Um, one of the emails that I got, uh, I think it was about eight months ago, was a man who said that he had, um, that he had driven his truck out to the edge of where he was with a gun. Um, and, and he was ready to, to, to end it. But on the way, he was listening to the podcast. And so he said he got there and he started to laugh. And then he just kept listening. All night. And he said it saved his life because he didn't, he didn't pull the trigger. Um, 
because there's one thing that, that we all have in common in this experience. It's pain that, um, for all the, for all the irreverence and the laughing and and the, and the F bombs and whatever else we drop here, there is this terrible thing that we're all dealing with that, that impacts our lives and continues to impact our lives. Um, and it's not fun to deal with. And, and, um, one of the points here is to try to deal with it in a way that's cathartic. Um, I think people sometimes misunderstand, and I probably haven't helped the situation any, who my audience is. And because they ask about converting people. And I could give, I couldn't give. I could give a rat's ass. I couldn't. What's the grammatical? You couldn't give. I couldn't give a rat's ass about people leaving the church if they're fine in the church. Now, there's probably some caveats I need to put on that, but my goal has never been to deconvert anybody. The audience, the person that I'm talking to is the person who's either discovered um, what we all know about the church or is in that process, and they oftentimes are lost, and they're alone, and they're confused, and what they hear is this voice. If, If there's one message from the podcast, it's, you're not crazy. It's not you. It's them. It's fucked up. You're not. And because we've all been pulled up into this crazy system that, that, that has evolved these, these, these tentacles that, that reach into deep parts of our mind. And, and, and it's not by design. You don't have these guys sitting up there who are designing the worst diabolical religion they can come with. That's not the way it works. Religions evolve to exploit blind spots in our evolution, blind spots in our DNA. And, and these things, in my opinion, go way back to when we were smaller groups and we use culture and sort of religion and myth to unite ourselves together. And the problem with them is they're not bad in and of themselves. Our, our, um, tendencies for storytelling and for myth and, and music and all that. It's that these religions exploit them for very negative purposes in, in, in the world or they can. And it's not just religions, it's nationalism, it's other things that can, that can, that can spawn these mass movements that get people to do things that are terrible. And, and it's, in, in a, in a sense, it's nobody's fault. It just, it just happens. It's, it's, it's a part of us. And that's who my enemy is. My enemy are these systems that manipulate our, our genetic flaws to get us to do and feel and, and be less than we should be to each other. And, and so I'm not about deconverting anybody, but I want the people who are coming out to know that this is all just one big, crazy up mess. And, and that's okay. And, but it's kind of funny. All right. Have you been able to navigate your public apostasy from Mormonism in your professional career being born and raised in Utah? I know the majority are Mormons. Um, in, in Utah. There's another question uh, that I got, which is like, how in the world do you live in Utah? Okay. Um, I, I do. It, uh, sometimes people will approach me in restaurants and, or if you're, if you go on a walk around the lake with me, you're likely to get stopped. And people say, um, a, a, a very good friend of mine was walking around the lake with me the other day. And she said, how do they know what you look like? Um, and I really don't know the answer to that question. So maybe you guys can all tell me out there, how do you know what I look like? Because, um, because you do. And, and in fact, this is one of the reasons that, um, Zilf and I came out publicly when, when we had separated. Um, not because we were trying to make any sort of noise. I knew that one out of every 10 or 20 times I went to a restaurant, people would approach me, which means it's much more often than that that people notice me. And since we were separated, it might be dining out with some member of the opposite sex. We didn't want to create scandal. So we said, well, we're, we're not together anymore. So if you see, if you see me, um, um, hanging out with a cute blonde or something, then it's, it's, it's not, it's not anything, anything hanky panky. But, um, that, that, that was the point. But people do approach me. The reason I bring that up is it's happened when I've been sitting with my boss and my boss is LDS. He's a great guy. As a matter of fact, one time I was in the car driving. With um, a bunch of guys from work to lunch, and I was sitting in the back with a guy who I've been to lunch with four or five times. We we don't really work together, but sometimes we go to lunch together. And we had been talking. There's a low in the conversation. He looked over and he said, "I know who you are." <laughs> <laughs> and, and he was then he proceeded to tell me how his brother-in-law had been talking about me, 
at some family reunion, he was able to brag and say, yeah, I work with that guy or whatever. I, I really, I really, to go back to the thing, I don't have any interest at all in foisting my religious views on people who don't opt in, which is the reason I like the podcast. You have to download it and listen to it. I'm not on any street corner. Um, so, and matter of fact, I have friends who are LDS who try to engage me like this guy tries to engage me on religion and I really won't engage. Because there's nothing down that path that, that is useful or helpful. If people have discovered on their own and then they, they want a place to come, then I'm here. But I don't really have any interest in converting folks. So, yeah, it has happened, but my boss was kind of cool about it. Um, um, and it's, it's never come up before. I find that a lot of LDS people, like 10 years ago when I first started leaving the church, people would be outraged. And now when they learn that I'm not a member or a former member, they all say the same thing. Oh, oh, my brother-in-law, he quit the church too. So I'm cool. I'm cool. You know, like, like they're, they're, they're trying to provide their street cred. Now I lived in the South for two years and people who think religion is bad here go to the South. Because it's everywhere. You're in a restaurant and it's like printed on napkins. It's on bulletin boards. It's just, it's just everywhere. The, the, the Mormon corridor is in the West and there's a Western ethos of live and let live. There's a real strong, um, a libertarian streak out here. So Utah is this funny place because yeah, it is sort of a fundamentalist religion, but at the same time, uh, people out here kind of have a live and let live attitude and they really don't foist their religion on other people. Um, not as much. Uh, it's, it's not exactly completely clear, but I find from talking to a lot of people that if you leave a ward that you live in, like you lived in a ward for a while, you served callings there, those people will continue to bother you and you'll see them because they, they know that you are in the role of an apostate. If you move, and they never knew you as anything but inactive or a non-member. They don't care. And and so if you're having trouble, the best thing to do is just move. Just move. Make sure to move out of the stake or out of the ward, and then you, you'll be fine. I really like it here. Um, I don't uh, – the, the Mormons I interact with have all been great. Every so often, somebody will bring me brownies or the missionaries will stop by on my door. But they're they're hyper-apologetic. Um, most home teachers, you can't get to go out and do the home teaching. So in Utah, if you know where to go, you know, the liquor store is always crowded. Um, and the bars are crowded and the the restaurants, there's not enough of them, but there's some good ones here. And there's just tons of, um, great things to see and do in Utah. So I, I, I love it here and I love Mormons. I mean, I don't, maybe it hasn't been clear. Um, there's, there's obviously a love hate relationship that I have with the church. Um, and I hate the corporate church. Um, but Mormons themselves do not bother me. And you'll see some ex Mormons who get all up in arms about funeral potatoes. You shouldn't eat, but they're kind of yummy. Um, they'll get up in arms about the culture or whatever. That's not my shtick. I, that doesn't, that doesn't bother me. It's just another U.S. culture. It's another Western culture. And it's bathed in Western culture and all sorts of influences, um, that really have very little influence on, on Mormonism, which is one of the things I push back on people when they talk about Mormon culture. I would say, what are you talking about? And oftentimes what they'll be describing is a Western culture. You'll, the same vibe you'll see in Denver or in Phoenix or in Boise where, where it may not be as Mormon influenced. Um, so, so I like it here. I like Mormons. Um, I wish they drank cause then they'd be funner to hang out with at parties. Uh, honestly, there's been great Mormon friends that I have that I don't invite to parties cause they don't drink and I don't want them sitting there stiffly while I'm knocking a few down. Um, when you left the church, did you have a conversation with your bishop, stake president to inform that you were leaving and why I actually did. Um, I lost my faith in about 2003. I moved and uh, the last time I attended church in 2005, the bishop, at the time was a really nice guy. Um, I was sort of going alone. My kids weren't going. Um, and he called me in and he was just the nicest guy. I said, this is why I don't believe. Um, and he said, yeah, I can see that. And I actually told him, I said, I'll serve in any calling you want as long as not doctrinal. 
And he says, I'll take that under consideration. They, they never did. Um, he challenged me to read the Book of Mormon. I read like the first nine chapters and said, oh, this is bullshit. Um, and I, he called me back in a while later. He said, did you try to read the Book of Mormon? I said, I tried it. <laughs> it was, it was just nonsense. It, it was, it was a really nice conversation. I, um, I, they didn't, they never, they never did anything to us. They were nice that we'd still get invitations to the war dinner or whatever. And I don't know. I haven't had any, I haven't, I know people have these personal conflicts and run-ins. I haven't had any. I've just been fortunate. Um, the question might be wishful thinking on my part, but do you feel that the podcast has made an impact on, on accelerating church dis, disaffection? I, I, I really don't know. I, I think it helps people connect. It helps people feel sane. That's the message I get from people all the time. And based on people I run into, like in the mall, a lot of these people started listening while they were still members. And based on our downloads, we have a hell of a lot of downloads, more than we can ever account for. And, uh, and, and more than we can count for in the ex-Mormon community, which is fairly small and fairly insular. So people know other people. Um, so there's obviously a lot of people in the church who are listening. And I've heard from multiple people that they would go to sacrament meeting and come home and listen to the weekly podcast as a detox method. <laughs> um, um, so, so what we need to do is we need to come up with some kind of gang sign that we can have people throw at each other across the foyer, um, so they can find each other. Um, I, I, no, I don't know. I don't, it's not my intent to, um, because leaving the church is hard. It is extremely hard. And I wouldn't want to voice that on anybody. It's voiced a word or did I make that up? Oh, thank you. I wouldn't want to voice that on anybody. Um, Sometimes I make up words and I don't realize I'm doing it. Um, so, uh, yeah. Okay. How do you navigate relationships with your TBM friends? The way normal people do, which is you don't talk about politics or religion. That's the way you do it. Um, and that's the way everybody else in the world does it. Don't talk about religion. Don't talk about how great the church is. Don't talk about how awful it is. Simple rule to live by. Um, yeah. Do you, do you, this is a great question. Do you envision a time in your life when the church does not, doesn't have some effect? Do you hope to move on beyond Mormonism, ex-Mormonism, just be John Larson? Um, do you think letting go is even possible? Um, probably not. I, I, um, was basically a member, an active member till I was about 33, 32. Um, that's a long time of your life to devote to something. And, and it's a response I give every once in a while. Somebody will pop into one of the boards and they'll say the same, the member will say, why can you people leave the church? We can't leave it alone, which I think was our first podcast, right? That was episode number one. And my response these days is what kind of psychopath can devote their whole life to something, their whole, um, you know, metaphysical construction, everything they believe about the universe, everything they believe about who they are, what's going to happen, a filter they run every scientific fact through, they run their career through, their family, and then they can just say, oh, I'm done with that. I'm going to go do something else now. I, I mean, you, you'd have to be some kind of, have some kind of huge psychological disconnect to the, the real world. I'd be surprised what happens after 20 years. After, after time. Um, and and um, there's something that, I, you know, I was a foster parent um, a long time ago, and they basically had a rule that every year the kid was in some sort of messed up situation, there'd be a, two months, I think was the rule of thumb, that it would take them to recover. And I think there's some sort of thing with the church like that. For for I, I've tried to work out a formula. I can't, I can't come up with it. It's probably three to one. Every three years you spend active in the church, it's going to take you about a year to recover. Um and, and, and what does recovery mean? I, I wrote an essay about a year or two ago where I said I'm no longer a Mormon. And I, I still stand by that, meaning I do not process the world through Mormon eyes anymore. I don't, I don't have a Mormon sense of guilt and shame. I have guilt and shame that comes from other places. Um, I, I don't, I don't think about the church very often. Um, to me, this is sort of a side project. And it's sort of like going to work. When I go to work, I do project management. And when I come home, I don't think about project management. When I'm doing the podcast, I think about Mormon stuff. But when I'm just putting around the house or doing my normal interactions, it doesn't invade my mind. And and it no longer has an emotional hold on me. Like when I listen to conference, you know, you'll see a lot of people even been out of church five or six years have this widely emotional reaction to conference. And to me, it's just it's just 
boring and it's it's nonsense um it's like it's like the the book of mormon it doesn't get me outraged it just makes me yawn and 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 i think that's that's a normal thing but for me one of the reasons that i got into the podcast is i i found church history fascinating the the, the what kind of led me out i i probably had the first cracks in my testimony as a missionary i was with buddhists in um in San Diego, I was, I was a Laotian-speaking missionary, and at the end of my mission, I was trying to. I, I was really fascinated by language, which is why I did my undergraduate degree in linguistics. And I was trying to break the code of communication. I could tell that we weren't communicating right, so I started studying Buddhist terms, Buddhist religious terms, like words like faith, and and then I realized that they were using the same word, but they had an entirely different meaning behind it. Um, and, and so, so this opened my mind. I started reading a bunch of Buddhist, um, literature. I wasn't trying to deconvert myself, but on my mission, I started reading all these Buddhist texts and I was trying to understand the Buddhists. That stuff took root in my mind. It took years and years to, to come to fruition. And, um, that's why I would identify myself these days as a cafeteria Buddhist because I just can't get behind metaphysics or reincarnation, but I think there's some really great ideas in there. Um, so that was the first cracks. I kind of went home, went back to BYU, sucked it up, got married, all that kind of stuff. And then later I was studying polyg, um, polygamy because I was working on some church, some, my own personal history and I ran into some queer facts and I said, I got to get to the bottom of this and reading. And, and I, I had a rule that I wouldn't read anything anti-Mormon. I would only read source material, but I was, I was, this is the, beginning of the internet age and I had, I was in the Zion corridor. So I had access to some things. I started reading source material and it was this fascinating, it was so bizarre. And especially when you read it in their own language, I mean, these guys are like dirty frontier people and there were fist fights and, and, and adultery and all just all sorts of crazy stuff going on there. And it just became fascinating. I just started reading. I just started consuming church history. At some point I lost my faith but I still just kept reading and reading and reading and reading and reading. And that's the, the genesis of, of the, the book collection here because it was just, it was, it was just, it just became weirder and weirder and weirder and more and more compelling for me. Um, and that's what eventually led to the podcast. I'm often asked, why did you start the podcast? That's one of the questions. Well, I'd finished grad school, um, in 2008. Um, so I had time on my hands. Um, and, and, then I moved out to North Carolina, so I didn't have a lot of the social connections I had or a lot of things I was doing. Um, and two of the big podcasts, well, the, the one big one was Mormon Stories. Um, John DeLynn had retired it for, for the first time then. And there was another one called The Church is Not True, which I thought was kind of clever. They didn't do a lot of episodes, but they both quit. So I was a podcast listener at that time. I saw there wasn't a podcast in this, and this sort of gave me an outlet on a couple fronts. It was something to do with my time. It was something to do with my Mormon history knowledge, and it fed my ego. So um, it, it gave me it gave me something to do, and that that was that was the genesis of it. And then it it built and it started going faster and faster, and it became more interesting. Um, it appealed to you know the geek nature in me because I had to figure out all these things out, the equipment and and and, and that, and then the conversations were interesting and compelling. And having that, and then I started meeting really interesting people and having that social interaction just, just, uh, it was a real benefit in my life. Um, can I pipe in here? Sure, sure. And ask a question that I don't think has been asked. Um, along the lines of people that you've been in contact with and, you know, the initial, uh, group that you did the podcast with, do you keep in contact with any of those guys anymore? I keep in contact with most of them. At least on a surface level, they're they're around. Um, when when I started the podcast, what I did is I went out to the bo boards. At this time, this is before Facebook had really caught on, and the the boards, these bulletin boards, were where all the noise was at in the ex Mormon world. I just said I'm looking to start this project. My original envision was a co op. There would be four or five of us, and then we just rotate every week. Um. It turned out that the people were interested, but not as interested as I was. So I ended up writing all the checks. And he who writes the checks um, has the power, I guess. 
but I think it was just more, it was a much more compelling idea to me than, than some of the other guys. Um, so I ended up having the chief recording equipment. I ended up doing the, I ended up, you know, paying and doing the hosting and setting up the website. Um, so I early on was really invested in the project. And once I'd ponied up several hundred dollars, probably close to a thousand to get the thing started, then I sort of had to make justify that expenditure, right? Um, and, and, and once again, it was really interesting to me. So the original um, guys sort of drifted off um, sometimes because there were creative differences, um, sometimes because it was just a lot of time and effort. Um, one in particular drifted off because there was um, a disagreement on tone. Um, it actually ended um, when I, I um, John DeLynn and I recorded a joint podcast and we were talking about the project. And I said, um, famously in some circles, Mormon expression is not safe. And what I meant by that is we do not try to make the message safe for anybody. We just put it out there, and I figure people are smart enough to sort through it. Well, this individual, great guy, um, still respect him quite a bit. His attitude with the podcast was to try to make it a little bit more palatable for people on the edge. And his family situation is he was dealing with that a little bit more. And this ended up being sort of the break. And I don't say that he was wrong and I was right. Or that um, I was the good guy and he was the bad guy. It's not. It's not that simple. It's just a matter of creative direction. So there have been these spinoff projects and side projects. I would say more often than not, they're fueled by creative differences. Um, I, I found oftentimes that there were sometimes podcasts that I I didn't like or I didn't agree with the tone that that may not have even had me on there. And if you listen in the early times, then I would rotate off and there might be other ones. But I found that in people's minds, they would say, I liked all, I've liked all your podcasts except this one. I didn't like the one you did here. And it would be one that I hadn't been on. And so like any, um, maniacal boss, you know, I, I, I exercised creative control, um, and said, yes, editorial control. Yes, we're going to do this. No, we're, we're not going to do that. And, Sometimes that worked with people and sometimes it didn't. And, and, um, sometimes they just want to do their own thing. Um, and, and that's fine. So, um, like in any endeavor, there's going to be personal conflicts that come up, but I don't think that was a hallmark of the project. And, and I wish all those guys out there doing their own thing just the best. Um, uh, uh, uh rising tide lifts all boats and podcasting is not something where somebody has to choose one versus the other. And oftentimes people who listen to mine, listen to, to, for example, Mormon stories, they have always, the best we can tell in every way, synergized off each other. There's people who discover one podcast and go to the other. And the more podcasts are out there, the more it actually buoys up and we have more listeners. So, so there's, there's nothing that I suffer from other people, you know, doing other podcasts and I, I wish the best to them. So if you're looking for real dirt, uh, there, there's not any, I, I really respect a lot of the people. Most of them just, they went on to do other things and we'll pull them back on every once in a while. Um, yeah. Um, here, here's one. Um, I've always wondered what two or so podcasts you're the most satisfied with. My favorite podcast of all time is when Zilpha interviews her friend, Nathan, um, that they, they grew up together. You know, Nathan, Nathan, um, it was, was homosexual and he had, he, I think he, he talks in the podcast. He hired an escort on his mission, but the rawness of the emotion of that and these two friends re reconnecting and that message that Nate delivers, it's just, it's just, it's, it's wonderful. It exposes the personal side of how we experience the church and why the church doesn't work, why the church is wrong and the kind of pain that it's inflicting on people's lives. The reason you can't say, oh, well, it's, it's good for me. So it's, it's, it's fine. This podcast shows that. So I, I think there's been some wonderful moments on the podcast where, where you cut through. And, you know, one of the things that I've always insisted on for people who participate is you have to be honest. Um, and if you're, if you're playing a part, which has happened sometimes, people have come on and tried to fake their way through it. It shows and it comes out. And it's, it's those moments. They can be crass. They can be rude. They can be dirty. But when, when the people are talking from their hearts, it, it shows. And that's what cuts through all the control. Because look, what the church deals in is love. And when you're dealing in that, you're giving it or taking it away, but you're controlling it. And this is why the church can be so destructive and so powerful. And when you can show that those emotions, those human connections, 
can transcend what the church is going to take away. Because what people experience when they leave the church is this withdrawal of love from their families, from their spouses, um, from their from their neighbors, from people they thought were friends. I mean, this this is the most common refrain that there was this circle around them that the people they thought loved them. And then based on what they believe about nonsense, about bullshit, about things that will happen in, in, in a billion years, um, that they, they, their relationships fall to pieces. And, and that's, that's the power that, that we have to do. I've said before that people ask if, if my goal is to bring the church down, my, my goal is to declaw the mother is because it's causing so much pain. And if we can take that away from the church, then we've succeeded. Okay. You're not skipping over Toby's question, are you? What the what does the fox say? <laughs> <laughs> meow meow. I don't know. Um, um, where would you like a Mormon expression to? Uh, what would you like it to look like going forward? Um, I, I I think I try to preserve sincerity, and it this thing I've talked about where I say I'm not a Mormon anymore makes it harder for me to engage. Um, and if you listen to the podcast over the last year. You'll find I'm often talking about topics that sort of transcend Mormonism. I, I still have an abiding interest in Mormon theology. I think, I think the beautiful thing about Mormonism is we have the emergence of a religion. Religions start as cults and then they turn into full-fledged religions. And normally that's so far in the past that we can't see it. But Joseph Smith had the misfortune of doing this after the invention of the printing press. And we really have a lot of view into what happened with the church. And this, this theological, how these frontier um, people solve these theological conundrums is is fascinating to me. The in and outs of what the church does today um, don't interest. It's just to me, it's just another corporation. So I look at it just the same way you look at PepsiCo. Um, and and but those doctrinal elements are are, are are kind of interesting. So I would still like to engage the 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 podcast. I still think it gives value. Um, it makes me happy um, when things are going well to do it. Um, and then of course we formed, um, a corporation, um, over the top of Mormon expression. I did it really for two reasons. The first reason, the, really the primary reason was it made it easier for me to pay people. So, um, um, you know, right now I have two people on the payroll. I have an accountant and I have a, an executive administrator who takes care of a lot of stuff for me, um, which is one of the ways I survive. Um, I think I said before at the height of the podcast for about a year, I was working 30 to 40 hours a week on the podcast and that just got to be too much. I just had to, I had to, de- de- I had to divest of that. So a lot of things I would do myself, I've had to push out to other people. So, you know, when, when you all donate to the podcast, Oftentimes, the majority of that money is going for me to pay my web developer, for me to pay hosting, and, and, and all, all that stuff. Because the reason the podcast still gets a lot of downloads, like forty or 50,000 a month, is because there's 230-something episodes. So people will binge on it. They'll find it, and then they'll listen. and they'll. So my point is all that stuff's out there. Um, when we announced that we were going on, we never said we were retiring. What we said is we were going to record less and less. We were going to leave it open. We lost 80% of our, our donations. And, and I, I understand that. Luckily, we still have, um, some that go through and the, the, the money is, was, is well used. But, um, you know, I was talking to a friend recently, was kind of talking about the same problem because some people said, specifically they said, um, if you're not recording anymore, then we're not going to pay you anymore. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be funny if the world did the same thing like J.K. Rowling, you know, said, <laughs> unless you're writing Harry Potter 8, we're not going to pay for the, we're not going to pay for the books. But I only say that because there's things that can be done. The, the ex-Mormon world has been very split up. And people over here, a lot of creative people doing a lot of things. But I think there's an opportunity for us to bring our forces together. So I said there were two reasons I formed the company. Of course, one was money. Um, and the second one was, um, to protect me legally in case, especially as I had a lot of people on the podcast saying things that sometimes I didn't necessarily agree with. I wanted to be protected personally from libel. But now I have this nonprofit and I have a Washington DC, um, firm that represents us pro bono. I have a, I have an accountant who will, you know, make sure everything's on, on kosher that way. And I, I look at this and I, we have some money in the bank and we have a corporate structure. We have a board of directors of great people. I say, what can we do with this thing? We've got this in place. The podcast kind of runs itself. 
let's go make a difference. And let's go make a difference not just in terms of doing the same old stuff anymore, but what can we make happen? And now where I am in my life, having gone through, you know, the hard phase of the divorce and kind of gotten over that and been re-energized in, into, into do things, I'm really excited about the possibilities. And we have some really great ideas that, that, that we're looking to work. So the podcast, I hope to keep going. I aim at recording every week. Sometimes. I might be sitting on the porch watching the sunset drinking wine and I don't record, <laughs> but, but I do try to record as much as I can. Um, I think it's still a great service, but I want to see us, all of us, you, me, figure out what we can do because we used to give 10%. And if we all just combined 1%, we would have a shitload of money and we could do some amazing things because we're up against a well-funded organization that doesn't mind muscling their, their money around. And I don't know. Let's see what we can do. Let's see what we can have, have happen. So we talked about what, 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 um, what made me keep doing it, but what about quitting? Um, I've never been fully on board with quitting because I knew it was out there and, and I always wanted it to stay. And even if I lost every single donation, I would keep paying the hosting fees till I die. Because there are always be people who go, who go out there and find it and, and, and use that to connect community. But there have been times these, these, I can be kind of brash and hyperbolic and all these kind of things, but I get my feelings hurt. <laughs> and, and some of these, some of these things that I talk about now, these personal conflicts that, that happen behind the scenes, once again, of, of sort of normal working personal conflicts. If you've ever worked a job for more than four years, you know the kind of thing I'm talking about. Um, I would put so much of my heart and soul into the podcast that sometimes they really hurt. Um, and I don't, I don't really, I don't blame anybody. Matter of fact, the individual that I've had the most trouble with, we, we both apologized to each other a few months ago. I think we're on good terms. We don't talk tons, but there's nobody out there that I've ever had conflict with in the podcast or else, elsewise that I wouldn't love to, you know, make up with. And so there's been times when I've thought, man, this isn't worth it. Um, but I think then something, then I get a message and I get, I get messages literally every day. And it was really hard about six months ago when I just did not have the emotional energy to deal with these things. And a lot of people will send me big, long messages. And I'm, I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to say other than, then yeah, that, that sucks. I read most of it. I respond to very little of it these days. And, um, and oftentimes I give short answers because I just sometimes my emotional batteries don't have enough to give. And I don't, I don't know what the answer to people is. It sucks. It sucks. It's not fun. It hurts. Um, and you kind of get through it. And yeah, I, I, I feel you out there. Um, but there's not a lot I can do. Let's see. Uh, give it, if given a chance to interview a GA of your author, of your choice, who would it be? I don't, those guys are not compelling to me. They're, they're mostly like CEOs and accountants and lawyers. Like, um, I would, the, the only Theologian left in, in office right now is Boyd Packer, but he's well past his prime. Um, 15 years ago, I would have enjoyed talking to him, but they're, they're just not compelling to me at all. The Silver Fox, um, he, he's not saying anything interesting. I mean, he's like reading Reader's Digest to us, right? <laughs> it's not, um, uh, so yeah, I don't know. Um, it's time for him. The dark horse that you have to watch out for. I've heard, I've heard rumors about him, um, that are probably not worth repeating, um, cause they're unfounded is the guy who is second in line behind Boyd Packer, um, uh, L. Tom Perry. Um, and here's, I'll give you the one thing. Here's how you know he's sort of a rebel. He's been a widower for some time. The MO for the general authorities is to marry quickly. They'll usually marry a woman who, I think well, in almost all cases, a woman who is never married. So she's not sealed to anybody else. Wink, wink, um, nod, nod. They're practicing polygamy. Um, so um, he's been a widower for some time, and I have been told by more than one source, kind of close, that the the brethren are dissatisfied with that. That they don't think they don't think anybody should be alone. So he could be an interesting guy if he if he um, if he takes over. But other than that, I don't I don't see anything real interesting happening in the office. The you know one thing you have to understand about the twelve is. You're vetted and you're, you're controlled and you're watched for a long time. Matter of fact, John DeLynn will tell you that when he was a project manager for the church, he worked on a project of software they used to track future general authorities. 
Okay. So they start tracking these guys a long time and they will serve a long career. They go from bishop to stake president, mission president, area authority, 70. By the time, and by the time they hit office, they're in their 60s usually. These guys have been watched and vetted for a long time. And then when they get in office, and, and now they're sitting in office because of the age thing, they're looking at guys they're sitting in a room with who they have thought of as general authorities. They've thought of as prophets for 30 years. So the, the senior guy usually is going to be 30 years senior than the, the junior guy. So these are people they've revered their whole life. And the voting pattern for the 12, uh, the 15, because they, when they meet on Wednesdays, the first presidency comes in, is they sit in order of seniority and they vote in order of seniority. And they only do anything unanimously. Now imagine you're the junior um, authority and you're sitting in seat 15. And these guys who you've respected for 30 years, you've been vetted through the whole, you've shown that you're loyal, completely loyal for 30 years. You're sitting in that seat, something you don't agree with, and you're watching these people who you say are prophets vote. Yes, 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 yes. And we, we have from record when one of them, junior guys votes no, they usually will table the motion. And then they'll come back the next Wednesday. They'll vote again. Yes, 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 yes. This whole system is designed, it's the blind watchmaker. It just evolves this way to fet out any sort, to, to remove completely any sort of dissent. And, and the idea that somebody gets in there, it will happen. If the church sticks around long enough, like 300 years, it will eventually happen. But it's probably, it's probabilistically not likely to happen. So along those lines, is there anybody that outside of the 15 or the 70 that you would be interested in interviewing? Um, sure, lots of people. I would love to, probably the top of my list is Claudia Bushman. Because I would just say, why? You had such an opportunity. Laura Thatcher Ulrich. Um, but, no, I, I, I think the church has always been a groundswell organization. The, 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 the leadership of the church has generally been uninteresting. Most of the things that have come from the church have come from its members. And, and I think that's where, that's where the, the interesting thing happened. So I don't really ascribe much to the cult of personality, um, as, as, as much as others do. And I think that some of these people who are interesting tend to be idiolectic in their interpretation of the doctrine, which means they're not representative of how most people believe it. And I'm more interested in what do people in the pews believe? How do people process Mormonism in their everyday life? Um, one of the questions that comes up here is what other, what voice is missing? What, what other podcast should be out there? And I've been, I've been thinking about that all day today. And I think the answer is I want to hear the voice that is completely, utterly missing from church history are believing women, not like feminist Mormon housewives. These guys are kind of interesting, but they're, but they're on, on the fringe, they're on the edge, but there, there's tons and tons of women who believe in the church completely and their voice is completely gone. It's gone from the record. It's gone from how these people process faith, how they make meaning of their lives. This is a missing voice. So along those lines, I just heard a couple of days ago that apparently Sherry Dew is writing a book about the women, yeah, women I read, in the priesthood. She's doing a counter to the, the ordained women sort of movement. Yeah. I'm, I don't know if that's come out yet or how soon that will be released, but I'm, I'm curious to see what she has. Sherry to say. Dew is the Ann Coulter of Mormonism. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, so she, she's the, it, it will be very interesting, but it, it surprised me when I, when I heard the, uh, teaser for it on the radio that. Yeah, this is the interesting thing about, um, you know, I'm watching the ordain um, women movement and eventually the church will ordain women. I mean, that's, that's a foregone conclusion. I, I believe that when it happens, um, there's the law of unintended consequence, which is in some polls, Women, the women in the church um, skew more conservative than the men. The church could actually play an interesting hand right now. What they would do is they would ordain women, and then they would ordain the most conservative women into the offices, right? And, and because there, there seems to be this underlying assumption that one, once women get into the church, they're going to liberalize the church. That may or may not be the case. I don't. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that the um, ordaining women will automatically br br bring the church more towards the the center. 
Um, right. But it'll be interesting to watch happen over the next um, few years. We've talked about that one. Um, this one says, um, "Has the if it's too personal, you don't have to answer." Um, have have um, you have had people use your divorce as evidence of the bad choice you made in leaving the church? Probably never to my face, um, but you know you kind of get over that. the The way the church is constructed is for a lot of Mormons. If you drink coffee, you're an addict. So so there comes a point when you say this is just stupid. Like um, that that yes, they have this worldview that will make you appear to be a sinner. And appear to be um, wrong, no matter what what you do. You know, um, looking at porn is the same as addiction. Drinking alcohol is the same as being an alcoholic. Um, and they don't they don't really make nuanced um, um, distinction. So yeah, they're going to look at everything the bad that happens in in their life. I've used this uh, um, before in the podcast, I know, but I was reading a sociological study um, years ago um, that that they they said that on average a bishop. Any given bishop is dealing with three cases of adultery at any given time. Those are the ones who confess, <laughs> right? So, so, so there's this tendency to look at people outside the church and say, look, their lives fall apart. Well, if you look under the cover of the church, people's lives are falling apart in the church. But there's this idea of absolution in the church. We can make things better. We can make it disappear. We can make it go away. You know, and, and like, like I, I, I saw an apologist one time talking about how you know, they have fewer cases of um, ad- adult- adultery, but they will excommunicate you, right? So so if they throw you out the no longer count you in the numbers, you're going to skew your numbers in, in one direction, right? Um, it's like it's like if you have a country that takes the lowest performers out of the schools and they don't you don't test them, your test scores are going to be higher, absolutely. But that doesn't mean anything if you if you're just throwing out that the bottom achievers. Okay. Okay, last two questions. Um, this individual says, I'd like to hear about your efforts trying to set up communities, either online or local. The reason I think this is an interesting question, I, I know I've talked about it in the podcast before, but I've talked to a lot of the founders from different organizations, from, ex, from exmormon.org, post-Mormon, Mormon Stories, um, uh, us, and, and, and what you soon, soon realize, you're trying to solve this problem, this problem I've alluded to in the last hour that there's this lack of love, there's a lack of community, lack of acceptance. So not only do you lose your faith, you lose your metaphysical bearing, but then you lose your community. And what we all realize is what is missing is community. And most of these organizations, eventually that dawns on them, and they say, what we need to replace, what the church's power is, is not in what they believe about the universe. The church's power is what they provide people every day. They they provide that sense of community, they provide that sense of connection. And we've all been down the path of saying, it's because we're trying to solve the same problem. We're all trying to solve exactly the same problem. We might go about it in different ways. So we, we push down that line. But here's what I've learned is communities have to be centered around something. Um, and so we set up, friend, friends and I tried to set up um, basically a non-church church, meaning we didn't have any beliefs, any sort of metaphysics at all, but we would provide the benefit. And most of all of our effort, 95% of our effort was around kids, um, um, providing them structure, providing them them um, what, what they needed. Because in these ex-Mormon groups, oftentimes they'll get together and they'll drink and they'll talk um, through things. And we do nothing for the kids, nothing for the kids at, at all. And and that, that was a... Um, that was a sore spot for me. I, I wanted to solve it. But here's what I discovered. If you go to a bowling league and drink beer, they will say it's a bowling league. If you go if you go to the skating ring and drink beer, you know, you're a hockey fan. If you go sit around and have nothing else that you say you're doing and you drink beer, they will say you are beer drinkers, right? <laughs> so you become defined by whatever it is. In the absence of having something strong, and ex-Mormonism is not strong. It is a weak bond, and it decays very quickly. And so people will oftentimes come together in a very kind of emotional way when they first leave the church because they're united by this definition of who they are. And who they are at that stage is they're not a f***ing Mormon. <laughs> and that goes away so quickly. And then they, they get stripped down to who they are. And then suddenly they realize, like, why am I hanging out with these guys? 
um, and th- this happens over and over again, that it decays along, really, frankly, socioeconomic lines. And, and because that, that glue that holds them together at first. So when we tried to form our community, what I found is without a central purpose of being, the community itself couldn't coalesce. Another way to put it is if you don't, you're not afraid of, of God punishing you or you have no real compelling thing you want to do, you're not going to put money, you're not going to put time into it. You may believe in the community because when we were working on the community, I'd get tons of support mail from people all over the country saying, I believe in what you're doing, but paying the bills and have somebody teach this, the, the seventh grader science on a Sunday became increasingly difficult. And then we just, we just decided most of us, most of the people who, the people who were doing all the work in that community, we still all hang out together. Um, so, so with that, after a while, we said, these other people are nice, but why are we paying for them again? What, what's the, what's, what's the point? And I don't say that to try to throw anybody under the bus, but just say that community building that we've tried, we tried to do through Mormon expression, um, that Mormon stories try to do through Mormon stories and all these other organizations, which we eventually sort of stopped. Um, because they can be problematic and it's hard policing a crowd. Uh, you get people who are drinking for the first time and they have really poor boundaries. Um, that usually takes care of itself in a few months, but you know, it, it's no fun Hank, carrying the puke bucket around. Um, and, uh, it just gets, it just gets hard to do. Last question. Um, I'd love to hear a history of Mormon expression and John Larson. I've sort of given it through, through this time. Um, Mormon expression and John Larson sort of became one. They, they, they melded together and I never, I never tried to, um, hide my personality behind it. Um, I will tell, well, I can say this, then you guys can disagree. I, I, I'm probably nicer in person than I am on the, on the microphones. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm looking around the room. Um, I'm I'm definitely more nuanced. <laughs> I'm, I'm more nuanced in my opinions than than I am, you know, because often I'm, you know, we we need to take a position to make it interesting for an hour. Um, but it's pretty much me. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, there's been a lot of life changing things, you know, the the arc of of my life, um. Has matched Mormon expression. I, I did, I was fortunate enough that I did leave the church a long time, about six years before I started. And, and so it, it didn't impact me emotionally. Um, but really the, the heart, the hardest thing about the podcast was just seeing this ocean and ocean of pain out there in the world. And, and all these, all these people that, 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 that suffer. And really that's probably amped up my anger towards the, especially the corporate church more than it would have been otherwise uh, my righteous indignation at, at, at what goes on there. And really, and what, one of the things that makes me unnuanced is I just want the church to go away. And I know there's other people who are in the same sphere who are looking at reform, who are looking at saying, well, if we make the church more equitable for, for gay people and for women or whatever, and don't get me wrong, I'm hundred percent for gay rights. I'm equality of the sexes, all that stuff. But the church I could give two shits about. So when you're talking about reforming the church and ordaining women, it's like, uh, uh, you know, um, that's not, you know, like what if Mussolini had been less of a dick? Would I be for the Italians? Probably not. Um, so, um, yeah, that, that's, that's where I stand. Um, so Mormon expression will rise and fall with me. Um, um, and I'm, I, I honestly am looking for ways to make it sustainable over the next year. You're going to hear this more from me. We're looking at ways of moving out of my basement. Um, although I've, I've almost all my friends that I have these days, I met some way through, through the, the podcast. Um, most people I'm really close to don't listen to the podcast. And I, I like that. Um, 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 because I don't want to interact with them on that, on that level. Um, but there are some who listen and there's, I have one friend, um, who, who, um, calls me every time it releases and gives me notes and (laughs) (laughs) tells me what what, what I did wrong. Um, um, but in, 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 and I, I tell him this, but his wife's still in the church. So he tells me why his wife wouldn't want to listen to my podcast. And it doesn't matter how many times I tell him that I'm not recording it for his wife. Um, he won't listen to me, but he always tells me why, why his wife won't listen to the podcast. Um, and sometimes because I say, 
Um, so yeah, um, I hope to have it keep going. Um, and, and for the, the friends who've been on the podcast or been around the podcast, I, my life has been seriously in, enriched and, um, I, I still love meeting people. Um, sometimes it's inconvenient and most of the time I feel like I'm disappointing them, frankly. Um, you'll start talk, I start talking to them and then there's this look, they get in their face. They have this look like they're just, they saw Mickey Mouse at, at, at Disneyland and they come up and they're all excited. And then I start talking and you watch it and then all sort of, of the fall comes out. <laughs> the, the, the look will just start. And you can just watch the drain out, you know, because it's kind of you kind of feel like dance monkey sometimes, you know. I, I don't know exactly what to say. Hey, you, you know, and, and I've had people who say, <laughs> I've had people who say, um, you come up to me and say, "Hey, John," and I'll be like, "Hey, what's your name?" And they'll be like, uh, "We met three months ago." <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so if I don't remember you, it's not because I don't love you. Uh, um, um, because really it's, 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 it's been, it's been overwhelming, you know, and in, I mean that in the most positive way. Um, I like to say there's that, that the people who gravitate towards the podcast, the people who are the podcast people are just some of the most amazing people you'll ever met. And, um, we're really pulling, um, the, the best the church has out, um, and hopefully landing them in new places and most of them move on. And that's, that's the right thing, you know, um, Move on and find something else. Find something. Find anything. All right, well, that's that's. I think all I got in me. Anything? Anything else from the? Thank you. Well, well, thanks to you and thanks to everybody out there. Um, I mean, don't hesitate to drop a line. Just remember, I probably won't respond. <laughs> and and, and uh, I love you all. So as always, the podcast um, will continue. You can check out our website at mormonexpression.com. Keep an eye on whitefieldseducational.org. Um, look for some new exciting things to, to come out in the next year. And, um, and I'll catch you on the down low. Thanks, everybody.